What's good, everybody? I'm John Zestremski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on the Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episode three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Think about all the stuff you can do now on Sundays after the Super Bowl's over. Adventurous activities. You need a Hyundai to get you there. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure with features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive. You can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome to the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Danny Kelly and Craig Horlbeck, and we are pumped. Jacked. Pumped and jacked, KOC style. You guys pumped and jacked, DK? Both. Pete Carroll style, yeah. We are launching our 2021 Ringer Fantasy Football Draft Guide later this week. You can find it at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. We are pumped. Honestly, it is. I am as proud of this guide and everything we put out around it. As anything I have ever been a part of at the Ringer, we wanted to update like how fantasy football rankings look, how they feel, and we feel insanely proud. We've poured our hearts and souls into this thing, and we really, you know what? I don't know if you're gonna love it, but I really, really believe that everyone's gonna think, you know what? We tried to do something different. I hope you guys love it. It will be up at fantasyfootball.theringer.com later this week. We've got 200 players that three of us ranked. It's from me, DK, and Craig. And we also have write-ups from the three of us. And shout out to Dan Comer, Noor Princiati, Riley McAtee, Ben Glixman, everyone helped pull it together. And again, that's fantasyfootball.theringer.com. We'll have a lot of pods coming. Our sleeper pods are coming. Post-hype draft sleepers, everything. We are insanely excited. And if you don't like it, unsubscribe from the pod. <laughs> yeah, just it's okay. It's a really cool looking draft guide too. Like if you guys have ever seen my NFL draft guide, it's basically in the same or Kevin O'Connor's NBA draft guide. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of in the same format, done in the same style, really functional, um, good user experience. There's some really cool like things that you can do. You can go through your draft and click off guys that have been drafted. So you can kind of go through and see our top ranked guys as you're drafting live. It's really cool. Um, obviously, all to top 200 players are going to have little write-ups, blurbs, upside, downside, bottom line. It's just really cool. So yeah, definitely please check that out. So we're insanely excited. For today's episode, what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through the riskiest players in the draft. And what we mean by that is, as we've been ranking and we've been like knee-deep in all this stuff, there are just some guys that even though you'd see one thing to rank someone at like, oh, they're 14th. It's another to have the 14th pick in the draft and hit select or hit the draft button. Mm -hmm. It's a scary moment. You hesitate. Some guys, there's a hesitation. The finger wiggles. Yeah, your finger. What's rule number one? Never hesitate. We wanted to talk about the guys where we found ourselves hesitating whether to rank them as high as everyone else or really just what are you going to be thinking about as you take this person? It's You have a pit in your stomach. You know, you're like, I should draft this guy. He fell. But you're like, I just, there's something inside me that says it's not the right move. <laughs> and to be clear, we're talking about the higher ranked guys. We're not talking about the 140th guy and what if he sucks. We're talking about like the your top four or five, six picks. You want to get those right. Like you don't want to yeah. screw up your top picks. You want to get on base. Who are the guys that you might strike out on up top? And I, you know what? There's only one guy I want to talk about first for a variety of reasons. And it's Saquon. Mm. Absolutely. Like I have found there is not one person I feel more apart from everybody else in this industry on than Saquon. I have Saquon Barkley outside my top 10 players this year. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, like uh, Mugatu and uh, uh, It's Zulina. the same look. Yeah. It's the same look. It's, <laughs> this is, it's just blue steel. Here's the thing. Most people, most rankings you'll find have him like second. It's Christian McCaffrey and Saquon, like almost everywhere. I just can't do that. I, I, I don't understand. Like, 
the first round's about mitigating risk. We've been saying for years, it's the Matthew Barryism. You cannot win your draft in your first round, but you can lose it if you whiff. I'm not saying Saquon's a whiff, but there is a bigger risk of a whiff than anyone else. Like, here's the thing. He tore his ACL in week two last year, and he's just not on the recovery timeline that we usually hear. And they're not saying the things about what he'll be doing this season that you usually hear from an athlete that you're hoping is going to come back 100% for this season. Honestly, the way they're talking about him sounds a lot more like an NBA player and how they discuss load management or something or long-term. Like, it's not how you usually hear a running back being discussed coming back. And considering the quality of the position, I just, I, I don't have Saquon in my top 10. Like, am I crazy, guys? No. I don't think it's crazy that you're a little bit worried about this. And we don't even know if he's going to be a full go at the beginning of the year. Like, that is a huge deal. Is he going to be one of those things where they slowly bring him along? He's not really good to go until midway through the season. We just don't know. And so, uh, yeah, like, especially in the first round, if you're taking a guy with your little literal first pick, uh, the fact that he's not fully healthy yet is a huge red flag. I think people are assuming since he's such an um, outlier as an athlete, and just his ability to come back from injuries in the past has been so impressive. How, how quickly he's like returned from a high ankle sprain or whatever. Um, I guess people are maybe baking that into their optimism that he's going to be fully healthy and good to go. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's certainly an element of unknown here, and we don't we don't exactly have a, a good grip on where he is in his recovery. I think there's a few other potential reasons to be a little bit worried about Barkley too. Um, do you think he's going to get like 90 catches again in this kind of offense? Like that is like where his elite, elite, elite upside had come from earlier on in his career, his his ability to be such a big factor in the passing game. Um, but to me, that that version of Saquon feels like so long ago because number one, it was with a different quarterback. Like Eli was uh, checking it down to him constantly. And now they got Daniel Jones in there. Um, I don't know. I just think there's so many variables right now that I don't think you're crazy. However... I'm just not quite as, I guess I'm not quite as nervous or or worried about it as you are. Uh, it's in the back of my mind, but I'm not quite as worried. Saquon's really, really interesting because he's almost like, in, like uh, he, he's like, you. I want him to succeed. And when he's on the field, you don't want to be going up against him. He's like betting the under where it's it's no fun to root against Saquon. Like it's, it's just more fun. Every time he gets the ball, you'd rather be rooting for him to have a 40-yard touchdown than the opposite. Yes. So I think that all of us really want Saquon to be a top five running back. Like I think his style of play, he's so cool. His name, like everything about him is amazing rookie season. I think we're trying to will it into existence more than I agree. the evidence kind of shows that it, <laughs> that it you know, what he should be ranked. So I think you're in the right line here, Heifetz. However... His ceiling is better than anybody. And putting guys like you have Nick Chubb against him, give me your rationale behind that. If, if, is it all health-based or is it a, even if they're both on the field, you'd rather have Chubb? My thing is that Nick Chubb has bad PR, but Nick Chubb is as good of a running back as Saquon Barkley. Maybe he's not like the athlete Saquon is. Nick Chubb is all around as good as Saquon to me, except he has a better offensive line. He has a better quarterback and he doesn't have the same injury concerns. And I understand that he might get spelled, but here's the thing. Saquon, like, let me explain a little. Like the prologue here is essentially that Saquon Torres ACL also is MCL. Long story short, Stefania Bell at ESPN wrote a pretty good article that explained that the MCL didn't need surgery, but they let it heal on its own. But that postponed the ACL surgery by six weeks. So for comparison, Adrian Peterson had his ACL surgery like six days after he tore it. Saquon mm. waited six weeks. So the surgery got postponed. But then he also had surgery in his meniscus. The meniscus delays the recovery. So like just the range of the motion and what he needs to do with the ACL. The, he, the surgery happened later than it normal and the rehab is behind where it normally is for just an ACL. Then combine that with the Giants are thinking about a new contract for him and that Joe Judge is, so they, they've signed veteran running backs. So if you're looking at what they're doing instead of what they're saying, they're basically really heavily implying and sometimes explicitly saying they're not going to rush him back for week one. They're going to get rotate him back. He's not going to just be getting like, like 60, 70 snaps a game. They're going to rotate him in and they're thinking about his long-term health, which is the right and responsible decision. But I don't know if that makes you a top 10 fantasy pick because what we want from a top 10 fantasy pick is either someone to be Alvin Kamara and play 60% of snaps and get a touchdown a game 
which you need a good offense, or to play like 80, 85% of snaps. I think they're going to have him play around 60 or 70%, and that's assuming he's ready for week one, which we don't know, but they're not rushing him back. This isn't Robert Griffin like all in for week one. I think that there's going to be way more of a rotation than we think. And then on that, and then you also are wondering, well, shit, Jason Garrett's the offensive coordinator. Is this even going to be a good offense? Is this even a good situation? But before any of that, I just feel like I'd rather get talent in good situations than I don't know if he'll be on the field, and I don't know what this offense or Saquon's role will look like when he is on the field. Do you actually think that they're telling us that they're not going to play him? Like I, I look at what they've done this offseason, and it almost feels reassuring that he's going to be ready because, you know, Devontae Booker, I don't think is he doesn't move the needle. Uh, they they drafted a guy Gary Brightwell in the sixth round. I think a lot of that is due to like he he'll be a good special teams player. He's a sixth round pick. You know, like he wasn't like a big name prior to the draft. Corey Clement, like who who is going to be uh, uh, to me? Like they're what they've done this offseason is telling us like oh he's ready to go. I think Booker might get work, more work. But here's the thing. again, I'm this is speculation until we see training camp. I think the question yeah. is. I guess I have the reverse process of everyone else. I'm not saying this is rock solid. What I'm saying is my process is until I see Saquon back on the field playing, not like on Instagram and like looking good in his Instagram and shorts, like until I see him (laughs) playing and in pads at training camp, I can't think about him as a top three pick. And and I just think that that might take a lot longer than people think, because I don't think he's a three down back until after like Columbus day. I don't know if you guys saw big news. Jeremy Fowler yesterday, ESPN Insider, said that Saquon has, quote, made a lot of progress and is, quote, moving very well, and that Saquon is, quote, eager to get back on the field. <laughs> well, well, you know what? That mitigates all my— You know what? I, you oh, know what? Man. I changed my mind. I didn't realize he was so eager. <laughs> well, just looking at our rankings, uh, a little preview for the, for the NFL draft guide, for the uh, fantasy draft guide, I should say. Craig and I have him— I've got him six. Craig has him five overall. Danny has him 12. He ended up at six because we averaged it out. But yeah, Heifetz, I mean, you're clearly much lower on him and a little, a lot more worried about him than we are. And talking this through, honestly, like now I'm like, man, maybe we were a little too optimistic, Craig. I don't know. Like, it, Well, it's simple because I'll tell you my exact process. I'm not saying it's going to be bad. What I'm saying is there, there, there is a non-zero chance that like, He's like ready, but like just rotating in and getting his legs under him for like a month, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you factor that in with, well, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Kamara, Zeke. I'd rather have all those guys than that question of Saquon. Because it's not like Saquon in this offense, I have no questions about his role, right? Then it's like Chubb, who I'm higher on than most people. And then you've got Kelsey Hill, Stephon Diggs, and Devontae Adams, if Rodgers comes back. And those are kind of the guys. And then also you can throw Jonathan Taylor in the mix. Like, basically, you throw those 10 or 11 guys in, and those are the guys I'm comfortable taking. And then after that, it's Saquon's upside is too much for me to pass on. But again, it just comes back to, I can't miss on my first-round pick. I've done it. So I've done a few mock drafts and, and real drafts lately. Picking, like, 6 through 12 is this year, I think, is tough. It's like a weird, like, you know, that's maybe just an obvious thing. Like, obviously, the top five guys are going to be elite fantasy players. I would argue it's four through 12. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Um, because if you include, like, Elliot Kamara, like, there's, there's, and we'll get to both of those guys here on this episode. Like, there's, there's reasons to be worried. There's reasons to talk yourself out of these guys. I think anywhere in the second half of the first round, um, you really have to make a decision like how risky you're willing to go in this draft. Like, are you willing to put all your chips in on so-and-so? You know here's, what what I mean? I, here's what I think about Saquon. I think the only risk in him is his health. And I know that's obviously a big deal, but a lot of these other guys have, you know, like Nick Chubb is like, Nick Chubb has less catches in his entire career than Saquon did as a rookie. And he has Kareem Hunt, who was at once an all-pro running back, like right yeah. next to him. Yeah. Saquon, if he plays, even if he has a plays 60% of snaps the first month, like, he is going to get Christian McCaffrey style usage at some point once he's healthy. I mean, he has like a 75 catch floor probably. So, and I'm trusting medicine. I know that my that my thing last season was that I think we're <laughs> the era of, you know, career altering injuries is pretty much over. He tore his ACL week two last year, even if it took six weeks to, to uh, get the surgery. And I know all the other stuff you outlined there, Heifetz, but you know, if the Giants, if it's August 10th, and I'm drafting, or August 20th, and I'm drafting, and the Giants say, Saquon, you know, tentatively expected to start week one. 
I don't know. I don't think they're going to put this guy in the field unless he looks like an absolute animal in practice. And if he is that way, I'm going to bet on him because I think he's better than probably every running back in the league. I think we should revisit this in a few weeks when training camp opens and guys are running around and we can actually get reports and information from what's going on there. I guess I'm just looking at it as to be a first rounder. I need to see him happening. So with that said, I, I think, just think, you know, if you're worried about the knee, I think that that's really like I'm giving you permission to worry about the knee. I think that it's just it's crazy to me that the consensus too, and there's no talk Thanks, discussion of it. Yeah. Other than the Packers, he is the number one vote. He's the number one candidate for like wait and see before you draft. Like he's the we need to see what happens. On that note, that's the other main question I think for training camp right now is is Aaron Rodgers going to show up? And I think Aaron Jones would be higher in our rankings. Devonte Adams would be my number one receiver if. Rodgers was definitely going to come. And right now, I think everyone has to do this weird limbo with ranking players where like you have mm -hmm. to build, you have to bake in the, the chance that Rodgers doesn't show up. So really the ranking is inaccurate. Either he doesn't come and Devontae and Aaron Jones plummet or Rodgers does show up and Jones goes and Adams go higher. But realistically, the Packers won't be properly rated in our first ranking. So with that said, do you guys think Rodgers shows up for training camp? Yeah, I do. I've gone back and forth over the offseason. I... I'm now landing on, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to show up and play. Um, you, there was an interview done with him like last week where at that golf tournament thing. And he was basically like, I'm going to match baby. I'm going to finish this up. I'm going to have a ball. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to take a couple of weeks and figure out what's next or something like that. So it, it almost felt like he was alluding to the idea that he's going to get back going and, and maybe he's accepted the fact that the Packers are, are playing hardball here. I don't know. It, you know, you could, you could, Take that however you want to take it, or you know maybe it's confirmation bias. But I just I think he's going to end up playing, and um, and he'll be. I think he's you know still going to be really good. I think in addition to baking in like the uncertainty of whether he's going to play week one, you also have to bake in the thought and the idea that he's likely to regress a little bit off of what happened last year. Like the, their offense in total was extremely extremely outlier efficient from a touchdowns point of view he was extremely outlier efficient from a touchdown touchdown point of view a touchdown rate point of view so in addition to the idea that he might not show up immediately you have to also bake in the idea that he's going to potentially regress a little bit from his efficiency point of view i don't think he's going to fall off a cliff but you know what i mean it's not going to be whatever it was he he did last year is like 40 something touchdowns and like three or four interceptions. What was it? I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it's 48 and six or something like that. Something ridiculous. Yeah. 45 and six. But here, okay, let me, here's my devil's advocate. Could we be heading into year two of spite year for Rogers where <laughs> it's not, not a spite year. It's not, not a spite year, right? You know what I mean? Like maybe he's like, oh yeah. Okay, fine. I will play for this fucking team. I'll have the greatest year anyone's ever had. And then I'm going to leave. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, so just the, just to this point, his touchdown rate last year was 9.1. That was number one in the NFL. We've looked at touchdown rate in the past many, many times. We talked about it almost always. Your touchdown rate like regresses to the mean, aka it like regresses and, and it's gets the biggest worse. sign that you're having an outlier season. His yeah, his touchdown rate last year was nine point one. He had he threw forty eight touchdowns to five picks. The year before, when he was also pretty good. He threw 26 touchdowns to four picks. His touchdown rate was 4.6. The year before that, his touchdown rate was 4.2. So he essentially more than doubled his touchdown rate last year. So that's the only word. That's like the big worry in addition to the idea like he might not show up. I think the regression argument, though, is so much more suited for people who haven't really done it for their entire career. Like Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league, maybe, or number two. So like... I don't think I would put too much time into like, well, he's he's likely going to regress heavily back. I mean, he's had he's had other seasons where he's had 9.0 TD rate, 7.1, a bunch in the sixes, like another one in the sevens. Like he's Aaron Rodgers. I'm not like I'm not banking everything on like, well, he's, he might not be as good. Yeah, but why did they draft Jordan Love? Because he had three straight seasons where he wasn't really playing to the elite level that we got used to watching him play earlier on in his career, and then he well, came I mean, back he and was, was hurt. MVP. He was hurt in 2017, <laughs> and then in 2018 and 19, he threw six collective picks. I mean, I, I guess you, you could say he wasn't throwing 40 touchdowns a year, but right. I, I think the love thing is something you should factor in. I think the spite thing is how he operates. I, I don't know. I was on him last year. If he plays, I'm in on him again. <laughs> if we piece together what has been said, it seems that the best idea we have of what Rodgers thinks is that the Packers bought and agreed with the idea that he was declining 
drafted Jordan Love to ultimately right. replace him and then did not expect for him to absolutely ball out with last season. And so both things can be true. Regression does make sense. Also, regression does not necessarily apply to the top 1% of people ever at the position, which Aaron Rodgers does. If you saw him putt at the match, you know he's freaking like, he's, he's unbelievable. Locked in. <laughs> the other thing I want to say, and one last thing on like why I think he's going to show up. I think Aaron Rodgers is a little Jamie Lannister in him. You know what I mean? Like there's this kind of okay. vibes. Do you remember Jamie Lannister's first scene with his dad with Tywin in Game of Thrones? Like Tywin's like cutting up a deer. Cleaning the deer or whatever. Yeah. He's cleaning the deer, which is first of all, what a legendary entrance for Tywin Lannister. He's Tywin is so mad at Jamie. And he's mad that Jamie didn't kill Ned Stark. And he's like, well, it wouldn't have been clean. And Tywin's like, clean. You're too concerned with what people think of you. And Jamie's like, I don't care what anyone thinks of me. And Tywin's like, that's what you want people to think about you. <laughs> and I think that's what this Rogers is. is. Rogers yeah. wants to give off the vibe that he doesn't care what anyone thinks. In reality, if Rogers does not show up for training camp, the Green Bay Packers fan base, which is one of the five largest in America, will fucking hate him. And every day he's not there, they will hate him more. I think that that is the most under-discussed part of this. I don't think it's about money. It's about, you know what's cool? Having millions of people love you and not hate you. So I think he's going to come. Do you think they will hate him? I mean, I, I'm not doubting it necessarily, but like it seems like people are sort of in his corner right now, at least the fan Hatred, base. no. Hatred is a strong word, but they will blame him. Like, 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 like Good turn it, on two, him two things quickly. can be true. They'll yeah. be mad at how the front office handled this and had mad they drafted Jordan Love. However, I have yet, and I know a lot of Packers fans, I have actually yet to meet one that is like, yeah, Roger shouldn't show up to training camp. He's right. Like, no, you can be mad. You still have to show up. You can't give yeah. up on your team. You can't give up on us just because they shit drafted change. a this guy to eventually Dude, replace you. Shit changes you. When, the, when the games start and like you start losing games. Yeah dealing with the fan. So I really do believe he's going to come because it's not like he can show up before week one. If you don't show up for training camp, that fucks over the entire team. Show me a time when a player hasn't showed up for their team and like the fans love it and their reputation has improved. <laughs> right. Le'Veon Bell, James Harden. Exactly. Like, I don't know. People forget <laughs> about you. With Aaron Rodgers, it's not the case. But like, I, like, yeah, it's not a good, probably not a good plan. So with that said, when Rodgers shows up, I think I'm going to move. I have Devontae in the top four receivers. I'm just going to move him to number one when Rogers shows up just for the lack. Because if he doesn't show up, not, you know, that would suck. Yeah. But I yeah. have Devontae's probably number one receiver for me once Rogers shows up. And then I think Aaron Jones probably moves up for me too. Is, 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 and if, you know, if he doesn't show up, I think we can kind of deal with it then. Who, who is, let's say, if Rogers isn't there, are you more confident that Jones will kind of keep up what he's done in the past or that Adams will keep up what he's done in the past? That's a good question. Uh, I probably win. I'd probably lean Jones. I think that Devontae is still going to get a good target rate regardless of who's playing quarterback. But, you know, his numbers, his ability to score touchdowns, all that stuff, I don't think is going to be strong. I would say Aaron Jones is going to have uh, more opportunities to actually score points and things like that, but especially in PPR. Um, but yeah, it's not good for either of them, clearly, yeah. if, if, if Rodgers doesn't show up. And that's why it's baked, this is all baked into the ADP or in, into our rankings, too. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Think about all the stuff you can do now on Sundays after the Super Bowl's over. Adventurous activities. You need a Hyundai to get you there. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure with features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive. You can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Another super risky team, while we're talking about the Packers, is the Saints. Like, the Saints, you know, Drew Brees is retire retired. We think Jameis is the quarterback, but we realistically, we don't know what the hell Sean Payton's going to do with, like, Jameis and, and Taysom Hill's <laughs> still there. Craig, what do you think about, like, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas post-Drew Brees? So... I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna spoil a little bit. I'm not that in on Alvin Kamara. I'm much lower on him 
than consensus. And I'll get into why. So obviously with Kamara, he's been uber consistent. He's had been in the NFL for four years. He's been the RB4, three, nine, and three. Pretty good. He has 80 catches every single year, 80 plus. Um, but his whole thing has been efficiency. He's the touchdown king. He's had 59 touchdowns in 60 games in the regular season. Uh, he was never risky. And that's what you want in a first round pick. Like you stated, Matthew Barry's thing, you know, people are projecting him to be a top six pick this year. And, and a top six pick, you want that guy to be safe. I would argue Alvin Kamara is the riskiest guy in the top six, even more than Saquon Barkley. So let's talk about it. So Breeze is gone. Without Breeze, Kamara's played nine games in the last two years. The first five are with Teddy Bridgewater. I would say a replacement level quarterback. In those five games, Kamara has finished as the RB 42, 25, 19, and 23. Mm. He had six, six targets a game. Uh, the other four games without Breeze were with Taysom Hill. In those four games, Kamara finished as the RB 22, 37, 11, and 10. In those Taysom Hill games, who might be the starting quarterback this year, here are the target totals on that team in those, in those four weeks. Michael Thomas, 36. Emmanuel Sanders, 17. Alvin Kamara, 16. Jared Cook and Traquan Smith, 12. Here are the rushing totals in the games with Taysom Hill. Alvin Kamara, 50. Taysom Hill, 39. Latavius Murray, 40. He, he, he becomes... I, I mean... I, I don't have him in the, my top 10 because he, he becomes, his talent is still maybe the best in the league, but he's not going to get the volume. And he never even got the volume to begin with. And this offense is going to be much lower scoring without Breeze, I think. And in the red zone, Taysom Hill is going to be vulturing carries from Alvin Kamara, which is what his bread and butter was. Now, if you even want to pivot and say, what if Jameis starts? Like, okay, are we comfortable taking the Jameis running back in the top six? This offense is going to be less efficient. It's going to score less TDs. Um, unless his touch totals drastically tick up, I don't see how Kamara can exist with Dalvin, Zeke, Derrick Henry, Saquon, McCaffrey. I just, I don't see it. Yeah, I, that's worrisome. So you you pointed out nine games without Breeze, and he was an RB1 in three of those games. Three out of nine. That's pretty scary. So I think the one thing that maybe has me more confident about Kamara than, I mean, that's obviously like, when you break it down like that, it's pretty worrisome. Um, but... There's also this thought that in the Saints offense as it's built now, they lack like legitimate playmakers. They lack difference making playmakers. Um, it's not Drew Brees and, and Heifetz, you've talked about this before. Like Drew Brees has made so many different guys like their first he's he's thrown so many different touchdowns to their he sorry, let me re rephrase that. He's thrown a first touchdown to like so many different guys. He he gets everybody involved in the offense. Um, you know, he's he's elevated these random no-name guys into like real fantasy players. Yeah, he's a real point guard. He's a true point guard. Yeah, like it's yeah, you always see out. like, oh, his first 11 uh, passes went to nine different people. Like it, only Drew Brees and Brady and Rogers do that. Yeah, so my thinking is, and I guess maybe this, this is wishful thinking potentially, like maybe it doesn't actually end up being like this, but my thinking and the reason I'm still so high on Kamara is He's clearly the number two, if not the most talented guy, like behind Michael Thomas, or maybe he's in, he's more talented than Michael Thomas in this offense, and they're going to manufacture more volume for him in this offense. Now, that could end up not happening, but I think that is the bargain you're making with yourself. Like That's the rationalization you're having in your mind that if you're willing to take him that high, that it's going to be because they basically force feed him targets more than they have in his in his prior seasons because this offense just lacks the talent um, to be really electric and, uh, and explosive if they don't do that. Does that make sense? So I guess like that's that's what you're that's where we have to get to. I think. Here's my question for you, Heifetz. Where he's ranked right now, most people have him as the running back four, the overall fourth player in drafts, fifth. Isn't that his best case scenario? Isn't that his ceiling this year? Is that ranking? Does that really feel like what, he's, what his average will be? I, honestly, you're right. And I've, I have thought about moving him down because, again, the thing I keep coming back to is two things. One, that he has a touchdown per game for his career. Like, he's at 60 or so games. He has 60-ish touchdowns. It's basically the third or fourth best mark ever. Like, like it, we're talking about, like, Marshall Falk or, or the, one of the handful of people he's got. Like, again, you can't have a touchdown a game. That's insane. The other part of it is, to your point about efficiency, the play, like you mentioned how he's just always like a top three or top five fantasy back. The guys that he's in the company with have been Todd Gurley in 17 and 18 or the Zeke Elliott's or the McCaffrey's. What are all those guys have in common? It's kind of simple. They all play like 85% of snaps and up. Sometimes it's just a function of how much a star running backs on a field. They get work. Kamara has never been that. 
Kamara has always been on the field for about 60 or 65% of snaps, but his touchdowns and the catches make him play with the big boys like Zeke, McCaffrey, Saquon, and um, Gurley, who were there for, I mean, we're talking about like many more plays a game. And without, if the Saints offense is not this well-orchestrated machine with Drew Brees, how is Kamara going to get there? And so you're right. Like, I think we probably are overrating the ceiling and really underrating the floor of like, what if this, you know, what, what if like the NFL's second all-time leader in every category of note retires and then the offense gets worse and we're like, huh, I guess that was easy to see coming. I mean, his quarterback was the guy who made every right decision. I mean, that's who Drew Brees was. And now we're getting Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. We all know Jason's rep- uh, J- Jameis's reputation. And also, I really do think we're underrating Taysom Hill's usage in the red zone. I think there's a strong yes. chance he could run for eight touchdowns this year. Well, but so on that note, we've talked about Kamara this whole time. What about Michael Thomas? I, I feel better about Michael Thomas than I do Kamara this year. And it honestly started with a little kernel from the top 10 receivers episode we did when it was just me and DK a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I basically didn't even realize how strong Thomas's stats were with Taysom. He averaged seven and a half catches, 85 yards a game. With uh, Taysom Hill, he averaged 12, six, 11, and eight targets. Like he pretty much kept it kept it consistent. And Michael Thomas's whole thing is about, oh, he doesn't catch balls downfield. He actually had a higher depth of target rate with Taysom Hill. So- I don't think volume is going to be a problem. And Jameis has a history of Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Mm-hmm. He's had two top 12 receivers in his past. Like, uh, I think we all just have recency bias with Michael Thomas. And he should probably be a fringe top 10 receiver. Yeah, I moved him up the last time we talked about him. It was a couple episodes we talked about him. And I was like, I, you know, I feel like it is recency bias. We're worried about it because he was injured for a large part of last season. Um, going back, if we would have put ourselves in a time machine, like he's coming off this massive, massive season the year before. Um, it feels like we went too far with the pendulum. You know what I mean? And now we're underrating him. So um, I'm I'm still in on Thomas. I think his production is probably going to be more predictable than Kamara. And and it is, like, as we're talking through this, I'm getting more and more worried about Kamara because you're right. He might not, if Taysom is the, if, if Taysom's the starter, he might not dump it off hardly ever. He might steal goal line carries. That's going to screw things up. Taysom might steal goal line carries regardless, like you said, um, even if he's not the starter. So I don't know. It's yeah, it's worrisome. Uh, at the end of the day, like I think people are betting on Kamara's talent, which is not necessarily the wrong thing to do. He's always scored in terms of like if you look at the numbers for expected fam- like points over expectations uh, based on like your volume. He's always been so elite in fantasy points over expectation. He's he's just good. He's just really efficient. He's just explosive, elusive. He's just a baller. So I think that people are still remembering that. Uh, but I would say that Michael Thomas's volume is probably a little bit more bankable. I don't know. What do you think? Camara was like the Friday beers Instagram account where every week I'm like, they can't keep this up. And then the new video comes out and I'm like, fuck me. They can back in. Yeah. And now they got a bunch of new guys running the account. That's what I think. That's what it, this situation is like. Yeah. A, they just got a bunch of new guys running the account, but it had the same tag, same handle. I'm not, it's not going to be the same videos. Yeah. I, that's. The greatest thing that's ever been said on this podcast. Shout out Friday Bears. Uh, DK. Yeah. Another, I kind of on that note, it, it's not like a different quarterback, but the same way we kind of just expect Kamara to do the same. So we've got Dak Prescott. I think everyone just kind of is like, oh yeah, Dak broke his ankle and like, yeah, he's still going to be a top three, four, four guy. Are you worried about like, are you worried about Dak Prescott going into this season? Do you think it's weird that everyone's like, yeah, no, he'll be totally normal. Or are you just like, no, he's going to be good to go. Now, so there are two major, I'd say, quarterbacks coming off of significant, worrisome injuries, and that's Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow. And we were talking about this before the show. I'm not really that worried about Dak. I'm more worried about Burrow. And, and I, let's walk through each of the scenarios here and, and talk about the injuries them, themselves and kind of where we are with these guys. What we know now, where we are with Dak Prescott. So Dak's injury was a compound fracture, dislocated his right ankle. The bone came out of the of his leg, which is obviously just like a we don't need a linger. Injury. We don't need to dwell yeah. there. The other thing that I, I fresh I, off the McGregor thing, DK. Come on, sorry, Dude, may yeah, have glossed just, over this during the off season, but Dak actually had to have two surgeries. Mm. Um, he had his initial surgery to obviously like reset the bone and everything. And, and I was reading about this. Uh, Albert Breer had a good article about kind of like the timeline of, of everything that's gone through. And he said, and this is from Dak, the only time I can say that I was like, man, was when I had to get a second surgery, said Prescott. 
And that was because I had just gotten my foot back on the ground for about a week or so. And I just didn't necessarily know after my leg was facing another way how it was supposed to feel. But it didn't feel great the first couple of days walking. And therefore, they went back in and the doctors were like, yeah, this isn't right. Like, we got to fix this. And so they had to do a second surgery to do it. And since then, so I glossed over this during the offseason. I, I guess it was like we were concentrating on other things. But that itself is kind of worrisome. Um, however, kind of worrisome. Well, here's why I say kind of, because since then, everything has been great. Like he's, he's ahead of schedule. He was cleared to be on the field for a Cowboys. <laughs> That's OTAs like the bingo card for injury. Recovery. You know who's not ahead of schedule is Saquon. <laughs> right, right. But here's the thing. Prescott's already on the field. So he was already practicing. He was in OTAs uh, with Cowboys OTAs. Um, basically, the doctors had more or less cleared him. Um, but there's just a few things like basically he said that he was a nearly a full go, but there's a few minor precautions they were taking. Um, he said in May, so this is a couple months ago, he said that he's, he said, I'm healthy. If we had to play a game now, I could go out there and be very successful, start the game, finish the game, not even worry about the leg. So he said that in May. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting, I don't know if it necessarily means anything, but Dak is saying the right things to make me less worried about it um, from a mental point of view, because a lot of times guys come back and mentally they're not quite as confident. They're not quite as, uh, it's just like a scary thing. Like getting major injury like that can, can really affect your psyche. And he's like, he basically said, and they said this in June, I buried the injury from the, from the point of practice, from the point of just moving forward. I'm going about my life. I buried it. I buried it mentally, put it on a tombstone. So he's like, I mean, just mentally tough, I think. And he's really just ready to get past it and, and go forward. Um, so I'm not as worried about Dak for the main reason is he seems to be close. He's probably, and he said his goal is to be ready for training camp and be 100% by training camp. So if he has a setback, I'll change my tune. But it sounds like he's on pace to be 100% healthy. Um, obviously, the injury happened relatively early in the season, so he's able to come back and, and you know get get right and everything. And I don't know. It just to me, it's not quite as worrisome as the Burrow thing. So, first of all, what is your reaction to all that? Like, how are you feeling about Dak Prescott? Are you worried that it's going to be a big effect on his game? I think that the Cowboys paid him, and they know more about the injury than we do. And that if the Cowboys aren't so worried about it, neither am I. I think that Jerry Jones did allude. I do think Dak runs less, but I also don't think it matters for fantasy that much because I think they're going to pass so much. The real mm -hmm. problem for Dak is that the Cowboys. So he was on pace to break. Uh, I can say break now. I think about his leg. He was on pace to don't shatter the single season Jesus, record. Don't for say Peyton shatter Manning's. either. <laughs> Look, man, I that was come you know on. What what? Else I'm you got? For the right. He was on pace to <laughs> surpass, surpass, crack in half, rupture. Yeah. Okay, he was going to throw for more passing yards than Peyton Manning's record. That's all I was going for. I already regret saying this, but anyway, by a yeah. thousand yards. He was averaging. He had a career high three weeks in a row. The problem is that it's because the Cowboys' defense was so bad. I still think the defense will be bad, but they can just merely be like really bad and not historically bad. And they won't have to throw for 400 or 500 yards a game every week. That's my concern is just the pace he was on is cool. But like, I don't know if that's going to be them every week. I actually think that, I don't know. I think there might be some games where Zeke is kind of handling the fourth quarter quite a bit, but I'm not worried about Dak's health at all. Like the way I am Saquon. I'm more worried yeah. about Joe Burrow and not because of Joe Burrow's timeline, but I think Joe depends more on running. And that I don't. I think that he will change his style of play. So my question is really: Is the Bengals' offense going to be good? Because the Cowboys' offense probably will. I don't know if the Bengals' offense will be good. Yeah, I would say that right now, Dak's situation is is more beneficial for him. He's not going to have to run, and he's honestly like over the last couple of years, he hasn't been like a big runner. He, he's he's utilized in the red zone a lot, um, but they're not like running read option or anything like that. He's not a traditional or, or like what we'd consider a running quarterback like Kyler or Lamar right now. He's more of a guy that they can use to fake out. He, he's like Josh Allen, I guess, like goal line back type deal. He gets um, re he gets touchdowns though. Yeah, and that's huge. And he, I don't know if that's going to change. We'll see. But I'm not too worried about it right now. And in, in Burrow's case, um, number one, I think he's a little bit behind relative to Dak in terms of getting 100 percent healthy. Uh, in late May, he said his left knee was around 80 to 85 percent. He expects to be ready for Week One. But there's some questions, and he even said this. He goes, quote, I don't know how mobile I'll be yet. It's too early to tell if I'll feel normal evading the rush and doing all that. Like To me, that's setting off alarm bells um, that he's not sure how mobile he'll be. Um, and he goes, but I feel optimistic. I feel good right now. 
we'll have to wait and see. Um, his goal is to be 100% at the end of camp. But, you know, again, he tore his ACL, his MCL. Um, there's always the worry that, you know, planting and throwing is going to change things. He he did he has talked about this offseason, like kind of like changing his and tweaking his throwing motion and things like that. Like maybe, uh, hopefully it doesn't mean he'll, he'll compensate and change um, too much. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I'm waffling because on one hand, um, he showed a lot as a rookie. Like he stood in there, stood tough. Like their offensive line was terrible. Their offense overall wasn't very good. And he, they asked him, they asked a lot of him. And he, I thought, was pretty good. Like, you know, traditional stats doesn't really pop off the, pop off the uh, stat sheet or whatever. But um, saw this really good article from Seth Galina. And basically what he pointed out was that Burrow graded out really well according to PFF's numbers in some of the most sticky and predictive stats. So he finished fifth in PFF passing grade from a clean pocket, fourth in passing grade on straight dropbacks, fifth in passing grade on first and second down, and seventh in passing grade with no play action. So basically all those are saying he's he like the scheme wasn't manipulating his numbers. He wasn't getting these big efficient plays based on scheme and stuff. Like when he was asked to drop back, find a receiver, like navigate the pocket and throw he was really good. And he was second in the NFL on negative grade, a uh, percentage of negatively graded throws. So like a lot of these are really, really promising, exciting, good numbers. However, there's just that lingering thought that maybe his knee isn't going to be quite right. And that could affect his overall play. So again, I'm not like, uh, we've got him ranked pretty highly. I'm not out on Burrow, but the Burrow injury worries me more than the Prescott injury right now at this point in time. We'll see what happens in, in preseason and OTAs and, and training camp and all that. But right now, I'm just slightly more worried about Burrow. It almost seems like, you know, what you're saying, DK, makes me think and confirm, I'm not worried about Burrow for his career. Right. Those sticky stats suggest to me that he will be a good quarterback in the NFL. But it's like in 2021 coming off of all this stuff, it's like maybe not for fantasy this year. Like maybe just do it, don't draft him this year in fantasy. Maybe even if he's okay, like he may be a better real life quarterback in 2021 than he is a fantasy quarterback. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because, yeah, we just don't know. Um, number one, like we're all excited about the T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd trifecta in that offense, but we could see it take a little time for all this to like get together and, and be a real thing. Like you said, maybe like we're just a little early on Burrow. Um, I think there's that possibility that that's the case this year. Okay, so while we're talking about risky guys here, I think there's a... I mean, you mentioned Joe Burrow with the ACL. Another receiver I want to talk about who also tore his ACL last year, Cortland Sutton for the Broncos. This has been one of the hardest people for me to rank, partially because yeah. he's coming off the injury, partially because he has a lot of talented teammates, and also we just don't know who's going to be quarterback for this team. DK, what do you make of Cortland Sutton this year? Yeah, I mean, I think you 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 summed it up. There's several reasons that Sutton is risky and or hard to predict. Coming off a major injury, he's playing in a weird offense with Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know. Um, here's the status of his ACL. So he still had on a big bulky brace when the team was working out in May. Um, but based on, and I've seen this from like around the Twitter sphere, you know, some some analysis on uh, how well guys can bounce back from ACL injuries and and what they go on to do in their career. He's still young enough. He's 25 that he fits firmly into the camp that guys that come back and are still elite at the position. So that's that makes promising. me feel good as a 26 year old. So if I tear my ACL, <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. confident I can make a full recovery. Well, 26 year. Well, I think it. Craig also oh, just God. really still thinks he could be a pro athlete. <laughs> yeah, uh, but really, like to me, so the injury is one thing, and and there's always like the worry of aggravation, and there's also the worry, honestly, that we just have a small sample of him being like elite, being like a really good receiver. He was really good in 2019. Yeah. But again, it's sort of like just this small sample and it could be misleading us a little bit on overall like his upside. He was wide receiver 19 and half PPR that year. Uh, 72 catches, 1,112 yards and six touchdowns. So I guess that's like what we have in our mind. But again, it's like the major thing to me isn't the injury. It's the Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater question and, and who's going to be playing, what his role is going to be. Um, let's just break down because that I think is more important. They're so let's different just break quarterbacks. Down. They're very different players. Yeah, they're like the opposite. They're they're polar opposite quarterback styles. So Drew Locke, aggressive, you know, downfield, YOLO type guy. Um, for him, the good, I would say, last year he ranked 12th in big time throws per PFF with 30. Hell yeah. Locke's good. 
And I think that's good because Sutton is most likely, I would say, he's going to be running routes on the outside where you're like higher A dot type deal. Uh, Drew Locke, his average depth of target last year was 9.7, which was actually third in the NFL behind only Joe Flacco and Jalen Hurts. So he was he was pushing the ball downfield. Uh, and that's good, I think, for Sutton. However, the bad side, Drew Locke, second in turnover-worthy plays per PFF, which, which was only behind Carson Wentz. He was 34th out of 42 in passing grade, 40th out of 42 in adjusted completion rate. And his packer, his passer rating from the clear from a clean pocket was twenty eighth out of thirty nine. So none of those are very encouraging. In fact, they're very discouraging. In fact, they would probably say he sucks. Well, but does but, he just suck, or did he hurt his shoulder in week two and was never right? And everyone's dunking on him because he's last in every category. In a quarantine year, we had no offseason, and he was a kind of drafted as a project quarterback. And it's a, it was a sophomore year. Like, are, are we really ready to say like, no, nah, he sucks? I mean, a lot of people are, Craig. Not me. Not me, Danny. I'm willing to keep my an devil's open advocate. Mind about is if if the Broncos start seven and zero and Cortland Sutton leads the league in receiving, I think we'd look back and be like, "Wow, we all just made fun of his stats when he hurt his shoulder in week two, and this was public information, and we just ignored it." And I, I don't, I'm not saying Drew Locke is good, but I'm wondering if he wins the job, if we'll be like, "La la la, why isn't Bridgewater playing?" And that we might be sleeping on this offense. Having said that, that's unlikely. Like he might just be bad, and then all the receivers might suffer. <laughs> So this is a weird right, offense. Right. And that's another team I'm very curious what they do in training camp. Uh, yeah. On that note, I think there's a couple of running backs that to me are in the same mindset of, I don't know what to make of them. Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs, I think they're both really talented. I think they're on weird teams who have both like used high draft picks on them, but also just don't seem to want to give them th- like three down roles. It's Miles Sanders for the Eagles. It's Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. DK, which of those guys do you like better? And which one are you more worried about? Uh, that's a good question. Let me, let me actually just consult my rankings here to double check. So I've got Sanders. We've got Sanders ranked 35th overall in half PPR. I've got him at 39 and then Josh Jacobs just slightly below him at 41. So I would say, I mean, based on my rankings, yes, I'm slightly higher on Miles Sanders. However, both of these guys are pretty worrisome. Let's start with Jacobs because I think actually, if I had to pick a guy that I would put on my team and and turn into a three down back, and I think is actually the, the real most life talented team. player. I think Josh Jacobs is more talented. I think Jacobs is a really good running back. Um, but the problem is we're literally and truly at the mercy of John Gruden's whims here, and we've heard story on story about how John Gruden just gets bored of players. He they fall into their doghouse. And then basically he's just like, I'm going to go with someone else. And I think that's kind of what's happening with Kenyon Drake. Um, Jacobs last year wasn't very good in the passing game. And so it feels like they're basically just like, you know what? We gave you your shot, even though they really didn't give him his shot quite, I would say. Uh, I think they're basically just like, we're going away from that. You're not, you're not getting that anymore. Um, and that's a big deal because obviously in PPR and half PPR, those targets, and those are really, really valuable touches. And he's just going to end up getting, you know, like the early down work, the less valuable touches through two seasons. I saw this stat. Jacobs has one target on third down. Why did you draft this guy in the first round? I don't understand this. Uh, He has 32 touches total on third down in his career. Um, So now it it really does feel like Jacob, uh, sorry, Kenyon's Drake is coming in here to kind of take over that role. Even though, ironically, Drake was mad at the Cardinals last year because they pigeonholed him into an early down role. Basically, they did to Josh Jacobs, or sorry, they did to Kenyon Drake what the Raiders are doing to Josh Jacobs now. So Kenyon Drake, his his spiel is that he w- he got a good pitch from John Gruden. Basically, they convinced him that he's going to come in and like line up all over the formation, maybe play receiver on some downs. I don't know exactly what they have in mind. Um, but yeah, so basically the problem is Jacobs going to get the early down work uh, I think he's really good. He's really elusive. Like the numbers say that, but the problem is he's just not going to be very involved in the passing game, or at least it doesn't feel like it. The Raiders feel like it feels like the Raiders are basically just like done with that. I agree. I think, I think it's right across the board. There's like a bit of a, the John Gruden thing. It just makes me think of like toy story. It makes me think that Josh Jacobs is like Woody and then <laughs> Kenyon Drake is buzz. Yeah. And Andy's just like, I don't want to play with you anymore. But, um, I still think Josh Jacobs has like Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor appeal, right? Like it, that's in the realm of possibility that he can run for 13, 1400 yards and 11 touchdowns. And he's just Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor light at a discount, right? 
I mean, yeah, in theory, he gets a lot of touches. You know, if you look at last year, um, hold on, let me pull up the stats because I was pretty surprised to see this. Um, when it comes to attempts last year, Jacobs was third. He had 273 rushing attempts, which was behind only Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. Wow. So that to me is like, okay, you, you can rely on, like touches are very important, obviously, for fantasy points. They correlate strongly to fantasy points. But um, again, it's just like really in the in that PPR, half PPR world we live in, you know, it's just, it's worrisome because he's it doesn't feel like he's getting involved. The thing that I thought was really funny and just annoying is Jacobs had 33 catches last year. Kenyon Drake had 25 catches last year. <laughs> like, and they brought him in to take over the passing down stuff, in theory. I don't know exactly how they're going to use him, but it's just, like, bizarre. Uh, the, the Raiders are bizarre. The other thing that we are, haven't really even mentioned is they, like, revamped their offensive line. They've gone from a lot of really good veteran players on that offensive line. They, they've replaced, like, three or four starters. It's going to be totally different. We can't be super confident that it's going to be a very good, strong, elite running team again. So Jacobs gets a lot of carries, but they're sort of like empty calorie type carries. And, and, you know, it's just like there's a reason he's ranked so low. He's lost a lot of his value, both in redraft and in dynasty this offseason because of the Raiders just being weird. Yeah, not great. What about Miles Sanders? So Sanders, I think that there's multiple questions with him, too. Number one. What's Nick Sirianni, the new head coach there? What's his scheme going to look like? How is he going to use running backs? You know, he comes from Indianapolis where, you know, if you go back to before Marlon Mack tearing his Achilles, he tears Achilles tendon, whatever. He had a season-ending injury. Before he got injured, they were like full-on three-headed monster at running back. And it was like really distressing for Jonathan Taylor fans and people that wanted Jonathan Taylor to be a thing because they didn't seem to have any care about you know, our fantasy teams, they just want like to rotate three guys in. So there's always this worry, I guess, that he's going to carry that philosophy over here to Philly and basically have, you know, a three-headed monster or more because they've got multiple guys. Like if you look at their backfield, they've got Sanders, they've got Boston Scott, who's been explosive and effective at times. They grab on Johnson off waivers, mm. Jordan Howard, Jason Huntley, Elijah Holyfield. They drafted Kenneth Gainwell. There's just so many guys. There's such it's such an unclear rotation that even if he is the quote lead back, like is that going to be enough? Is he going to get enough volume? And is he going to get enough passing down stuff to be a big factor? Um, he, the other thing that's weird about him is he was really really good as a receiver as a rookie. Like some of the stuff they were doing with him as a rookie was really cool. Like they were running vertical routes down the sideline, like wheel routes. He was catching vertical passes. Um, but his receiving usage and effectiveness dropped pretty precipitously as a sophomore, as a second-year guy. And now they've got all these, quote, like pass-catching backs like Jason Huntley, Kenneth Gainwell. Maybe they want to have Boston Scott be that guy. Um, it just doesn't... We don't know exactly how they're going to use these guys. So again, you're kind of like pigeonholing him into this early down role, and it's uncertain whether he's going to be like a, a significant pass catcher. So who do you feel better about, though? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Jacob slightly because I, I feel pretty confident he's going to get a lot of volume as an early down guy. And I don't know that 100% sure about Miles Sanders. Also, I just think there's there's also a lot of question marks about Jalen Hurts and his role in the Eagles offense in, in, the, in the passing game. Like, it's basically the same questions we have about J.K. Dobbins, where is Jalen Hurts ever going to check down? Is Jalen Hurts going to steal rushes? Is he going to steal pass attempts? So, like, in addition to the fear that Nick Sirianni is going to run this three-headed monster at running back, then you're also having the quarterback stealing rushes. Like, at least in Baltimore, it's going to be J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, and then Lamar. Like, in Philly, it could be Hurts, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gainwell, or something ridiculous. You know what I mean? And so, like, there's this, it's just, like, a potential mess, and that's obviously why these guys have been pushed down. Like I said, in fantasy, in, in redraft and in dynasty, both these guys have like fallen off hard this offseason. Um, nothing like about the offseason makes you confident about these guys going into this year. Yeah, it sucks when you're rooting for your running back just to get subbed onto the field at the five yard line. And you're like, <laughs> oh, my God, now put my guy in. But it's even worse when they put Miles Sanders in and then Jalen Hurts just does a bootleg and just jogs into the end zone untouched. Yeah. Whereas at least yeah. that's not going to be a thing with Josh Jacobs. And I do think for me, that's a tiebreaker. That matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. One other team that I wanted to hit in terms of just riskiness here today is the Steelers, because 
I mean, aside from just like three or four of their offensive linemen changing out this offseason, Ben Roethlisberger just looked horrible for the last month or two months of the season. Just really looked done. And Craig, you're the Steelers fan here. I'm wondering what you, I don't think Ben is like a fantasy guy, but I'm wondering how that influences what you think about Deontay Johnson, Juju, who came back, like the guy who just is desperate to get back with his ex, and then Chase Claypool, Najee Harris. I'm just wondering what you think about the offense after you watch this 11-0 start collapse into like a team that could even move the ball. There's a lot to unpack with Pittsburgh. Uh, the overview is that Ben is back. Their offensive line is completely different. Four or five of the guys last year are gone, uh, which is funny because last year's offensive line wasn't good. So you could argue that that's <laughs> maybe a positive. They're a lot younger now. They kind of had a lot of old guys and they wore down down the stretch. And what's funny is a lot of people think that, well, I don't know. You can kind of view this two ways. They were like, oh, the Steelers threw the ball quicker than anybody in the league. It, ben had like, the, he, he, he threw the ball quicker than any quarterback i think since 2012 or something like that and so they're like oh that's why uh, the on offensive record line... no, on, at least but oh is it on record it, it's realistically it's it's of it's it's the fastest by a lot on record but the, everyone thought it was because they couldn't protect ben as a passer but the real reason is, reason is because they couldn't run the ball at all so they had to throw the ball a ton their run blocking was way worse than their pass blocking they were actually like a decent pass blocking team but they couldn't run the ball so they threw the ball 900 times a game so now they're a lot younger. They drafted Najee Harris. I think they're going to be a more balanced offense. I honestly, I don't think Ben will be, I don't, I, I, you know, famous last words. I don't think Ben is going to be washed this year. I think he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. He threw for 500 yards against the Browns eight, you know, seven months ago. With the receivers, it's, it's, it's honestly fascinating. Each of them are such interesting players. Deontay Johnson is the most talented of the group, I think. Um, unless you, there might be, honestly, 2018 Juju, I would still say, looked the best out of all these three guys. But Deontay, the knock on him is that he drops passes, right? Mm -hmm. He led the league in drop passes. I, I kind of, Ian Harditz was talking about this for PFF, and I kind of agree. Like, I kind of don't care. And also, like, do we look at any of the other guys who drop passes and say anything? Here are the top leaders in drop passes last year. Deontay Johnson, Jerry Judy, Tyree Kill, Alvin Kamara. Like, do we talk about them? Wasn't Stephon DK Diggs? Metcalf? DK yep. Metcalf drops a lot of passes too. DK yeah, Metcalf it, is top 10. Like, why don't Odell we mention weirdly any of dropped a lot of passes even when he was elite. Yeah, I mean, the argument is, Harditz is like, yeah, you drop passes because they throw you the ball a fuck ton. So you have more opportunities <laughs> to drop the ball. So yes, like, exactly. I, I don't necessarily think that's like the biggest deal in the world. Deontay Johnson was fifth in the NFL in targets total and he played 12 games, pretty much. He played yeah. like 14, but uh, there was a lot of half games. Um, cause one of them, he got benched. A lot of them, he got hurt, but I think Deontay is steady and is probably the best pick in general. If you want to pick a guy who's going to finish in the top 10, I think Juju's the best value. I think we're really kind of sleeping on him. I know he like was going to leave and we signed him back, but like, dude, two years ago, Juju was looking like the next Antonio Brown for Pittsburgh. And he had like the same year as Antonio Brown. Uh, and then the 2019 year happened where the whole team was hurt. And then 2020 happened. And honestly, Juju was hurt. He had a knee issue all of 2020. He was always on like the Roto World, like, you know, pr questionable for the game. He was hurt, hurt all of 2019 as well with toe injuries, foot injuries. Um, he's the lowest ranked and drafted Steeler receiver right now. Look at what he did in the playoffs. I mean, when push comes to shove, he had like 15 catches for 180 yards in the playoffs. I still think Juju is a really talented player. He was like a yards after the catch guy when he was healthy. I think there's a chance that that comes back or at least that he just returns like some decent value as like a wide receiver three or even a wide receiver two on your team. Last yeah. year, all three of these guys were wide receiver twos and now we're not ranking them like that again. And I definitely think it's possible. It's one of those fake wide receiver twos though because it's like Chase Claypool exploded when he was on waivers. No one had him in their lineup and then he had like two or three huge games but like averaged out that comes out but in reality he helped you two or three weeks and I, that's why he's my least favorite of them. Now maybe that's dumb because he did that as a rookie and he'll get a lot better but I do agree that Deontay is the guy here and Juju's underrated. My question, the one thing I want to push back on is just I think the running game's like the chicken or the egg. I think part of the reason they couldn't run is because Ben wants to be in shotgun and you're really limited. Yeah, they don't do play game. action. He refuses the to thing. do play action, yeah. He just has to be in shotgun because he's old and can't move. They were last in play action last year. The Jags were second to last, and they ran play action 57 more times than Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that has to change, but maybe it will. We have Matt Canada. We have a new OC. No, it's not changing. 100% not changing. You don't think with Najee Harris? No, and not then, until Ben's gone. 
I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll see. But I don't. I, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Now yeah. that everybody has a tell on him and shotgun, maybe they will. Can I give you guys a bold prediction? This is not our bold predictions episode, but this will probably be one of mine. Um, I think this is the first time under Mike Tomlin the Steelers go under 500 this year. Like I really, mm. I really think that this offense is in trouble. I think the offensive line stuff, quite frankly, is almost a scapegoat. Like they needed to fix it. To be clear, it was not good. But Ben. This reminds me of a much better version of when the Giants held on to Eli Manning for a year too long. It's not quite the same because the team is a lot better, but I just I just think that this team would be a lot better with a different quarterback and that the entire offense feels designed around Ben's limitations. And I don't know if those limitations went away just because he has another year to recover from the elbow, but I, that makes me really not thrilled with anyone on this offense other than really Deontay and Najee Harris. Cause even though Harris, I don't love the running game. I think he will play all three downs and I think he's the least attractive of the three down running backs, but ultimately I want a three down running back. Otherwise it's kind of tough for me. So I just want to chime in here and give my take. It is the Steelers are a very interesting team because uh, number one, it's very difficult to know who's going to be like the best receiver on this team. Who's going to emerge as like the quote number one. I think Deontay is, valuable and Ben's favorite target in a large part because he's a really good route runner. He gets open early in his routes and he can get basically he's, he's an extension of the run game almost because you're getting open and getting the ball out within one second. It's like these short little slants and things like that. Like, I think he's probably going to lead the team in targets, but I'm a big Claypool believer. Honestly, I think that, um, I do think there's a chance Juju makes a big comeback and kind of turns back into the guy we used to know, but Claypool Number one, when he was in there and he was running a lot of routes, he was really good. He's big. He's got the size. He's like a f- unreal outlier out athlete. Like he's one of the best athletes at the position. Like it's like him and Calvin Johnson. Like based on his combine numbers, um, like he's an elite, elite athlete. Constantly making these big plays down the field. I think he has a real chance. And this is a study I've seen this from like Rotoviz and some of the um, fantasy sites around around the the nation or whatever. Like. The year two jump for receivers, for especially for um, like receivers recently, is like a real thing. Where you see you see some like flashes of of brilliance their rookie year, and then all of a sudden you get like you you turn into DK Metcalf, like your second year or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you're like one of the top receivers in the game. Um, I think there's a real chance that Claypool ends up being that guy this year, like one of the guys this year that does that big second year jump, and and like his snaps were reduced. The second half of the year, because Tom was really worried about hitting the rookie wall. Like, we're not going to have to worry about that in theory this year. Um, I just trust it. Like, I lost trust in Deontay Johnson. I know that we're not supposed to ding a guy for drops, but he his drops were so egregious and so common. Like, I, I even tweeted this a few games before he did get benched. Like, I was like, basically, Deontay is the weird guy in fantasy that could either be the overall wide receiver one or literally get benched. Because I just, you just, I lost trust in like his ability to not be a head case, essentially. And so, like, and then like a game or two later, he got benched. So to, that still sticks in my mind, even though I, I agree, like in theory, and I agree in principle with Ian that like we shouldn't dock guys for drops. Like it's just a function of you're really good and targets are earned. You're you're earning those targets because you're getting open. However, it's still like I just still have a little bit of like lingering doubt about Deontay Johnson. So I, I just trust Claypool's talent, his athleticism, his size, the the whole package. Basically, I think he's going to break out. Yeah, I have no problem with the Claypool thing. I love Claypool. I mean, I think he's going to be awesome. My point in this was that if you want to talk about value, I mean, Juju being ranked last out of the three of them, I think is probably the best draft pick in terms of like what you could get in return. It's almost like the, this is like almost the uncertain backfield narrative, right? Like you just take the cheapest one. Yeah, kind of. I, that actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, those are the risky players. I want to read one email we got. You can email us at ringerfantasyfootballgmail.com. Also, yeah, sh- feel free to email us whatever. Thoughts on the rankings, thoughts on the draft guide, thoughts on episodes we should do. We're going to have a lot of episodes coming to you. But again, I think a week or two ago, I asked for a German word for the feeling of when <laughs> food comes by you at a table. It's not for you. We got an email from Rudiger Meyer, who is in Germany, and he says the German word Danny H is looking for is Futternied, which translates to food envy. Mm. <laughs> I think that Futternied, I think that that works really well. Oh, man. So literal. I love this. Good language. We're almost fluent. We're getting there. And there we go. Maybe that's what Tony Pollard has because he keeps watching Zeke get to eat. 
So Tony Seriously. Pollard has food or need. <laughs> We're going to see Zeke literally eat on Hard Knocks this year. All right. There you go. Oh, well, we haven't talked about Hard Knocks. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, fantasyfootball.theringer.com. Our draft guide will be up there later this week. Thank you to everyone so much for listening. Thank you to all the hard people, the people who put a lot of hard work in, Riley McAtee, Ben Glicksman. The, I, I really can't count them all. We'll talk about it again. Mm-hmm. We got sleepers coming for you later this week. Thank you. But most of all, thank you, Lorne. Lorne, we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you, Mace. Who? Who? Oh, oh, yeah. Mm. Mace. It's, maybe is yeah. that too early for you, Zoomers? Oh, stop! Don't give me that. <laughs> no, that's that's. I'm not. I'm not that. Craig is offended. Oblivious. I am offended. <laughs> they should, I, yeah. I, all right. Anyway, thank you. See you guys later this week. Fantasyfootball.thereal.com. <laughs> <laughs>